0: Hi, uh, Scott here from Synthetic Dreams. Thanks for joining me. I've just finished a call with Daryl DMC McDaniels, who is from legendary hip-hop group Run DMC. It was so nice to speak to Daryl, and he is one of those guys that's just so full of um, vibrance and positivity um, that you just can't help but like him. And uh, his story, is a, a really interesting one um, because obviously they were in the um, 80s and early 90s so successful, I mean they had uh, strings of hits and they also were um, well, one of the first, I'd say the first uh, hip hop group to be on the cover of Rolling Stone they played Live Aid um, and eventually got a, a a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Grammys, I mean they were you know, a huge group who also, um, I mean, they influenced uh, a lot of hip hop guys, um, a list that would be too long to, to, to come off now. But they also influenced um, a lot of the rap rock guys that came out in the early 90s, bands like Rage Against Machine and Korn, due to them fusing rock in a lot of their tracks. Um, on this show, we, we speak about uh, his new book called Daryl's Dream which is all about creativity and positivity. Um, and he he actually goes around uh, some of the schools where he lives and speaks about the subject. So it was really nice to speak to him. And as you'll, you'll hear from the show, he's got so much inf- enthusiasm about everything that he speaks about. Um, like I said before, you just can't help but like him. So here he is, the one and only, uh, extremely talented, Daryl. DMC McDaniels. So I'm delighted to have Daryl on the podcast today, so thanks for joining us. And tell us about this, this brand new children's book that's just come out.
1: Um, this children's book wasn't really part of the plan. I've done two books prior to this. Um, my most recent book was 10 Ways Not to Commit Suicide, which talked about, um, you know, my mental health struggles. But the children's book actually came about for the last 10 years. I've been speaking at schools and I started speaking at high schools, and I would go into the high schools, and the same way I'm speaking to you now, I would speak to the high school students. So the educators was like, you need to take this to the middle schools. So I went to the middle schools and, you know, told my story, you know, all the Run DMC stuff, what it was like for me as a kid, you know, and all the stuff that I've been through. So at the middle schools, it was like, yo, you got to take this to the elementary school. So for the last couple of years, I've been talking to kindergartners to like sixth grade. And, you know, this, the same way I'm talking to you, Scott, yo, what's up? My name is Daryl McDaniels. I grew up in Queens, you know, and it's very interesting for the kids and stuff like that. You know, even if they don't know the music, they've heard my song in movies and cartoons and video games. So they're familiar with it's tricky and stuff like that. Yeah. But I would talk to these kids and their attitudes about school and education would change. Their attitudes about, you know, their self-esteem would change. Um, their attitudes about the possibilities of what they could be done would change. So, to make a long story short, two of the educators who I spoke at their schools who actually helped me write the book, they were like, Darrell, you need to do a kid's book. And I was like, At first I didn't want to do it because I don't want to profit off of you know, inspiring and motivating people. But it was like, you could reach so many kids around the world and, other, and all the classrooms and households without even having to be there. So I thought about doing a scenario where it's the DMC that everybody knows is the mighty king of rock who walked his way with Aerosmith and his Adidas to tell the world how tricky life is. I thought about a scenario. If I could talk about Daryl from high school to adulthood, I could talk about what it was like for that Daryl when he was in third grade, when he was in fourth grade. So, at the beginning of um, last year, I came up with the idea of the book, um, went to some teachers to help me put it in a in a in, in a way that kids could comprehend uh, at those grade levels, and then Nickelodeon, you know, the the, the the global phenom, Nickelodeon heard about it and said, "This is so perfect. We would love to partner with you on this." Wow,
0: amazing. Yeah, yeah, so, such an amazing story. Because I was, I was thinking then, I mean, um, I mean, I sadly lost my mum when I was about ten, and and it, mm. that kind of age where right. I was looking for answers, and yes, if there wasn't anything like that then in the eighties, and if someone had given me a book like this, or yes, I felt I would have felt a lot better. Something I would have been able to sort of
1: right. A lot of a lot of young people we get talked to by adults. You need to do this. You shouldn't feel this way. And so don't they tell you not to feel the way, not to experience the emotions that you go through, not um, your feelings and your thoughts and stuff like that. One of the key things that I wanted to do with this book is, Scott, our environment is our families, our personal relationships, and our work environment. It's no different from the environment of the kids, but their environment is their households, their neighborhoods, their classrooms in the schoolyards so I was like instead of me saying you need to you young whippersnappers I don't want to tell them what not to do yes. I don't want to tell them not to feel the way that they feel because Scott even as grown-ups we feel anxiety fear and confusion just like you feel at 10 years old if we don't address those issues now when they're younger they will grow up Falling into those very same issues because there was nothing there to help guide them through and understand those things. So I said, "I'm gonna put the DMC that their grand—I've been around so long that grandmothers and grandfathers know about me. Yeah. You know, I've always talked about family. I've always talked about you know, um, 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 you know, uh, education. I've always talked about stuff that people universally can relate to. Why can't I talk about universal?" Um, aspects, characteristics, situations, and conditions that exist in a little kid's life. So yeah. I thought about putting Daryl DMC in their environment so it could do two things for them. It shows them they are okay just the way they are. Yeah. You know, your freckles are perfect, your height, your weight, your funny red hair. You are okay. You are perfect just as you are. And You can do and be whatever it is that you want to be. There's so much peer pressure on these kids now, especially with social media. So I don't want these kids thinking it's wrong to feel this way. No, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to have fear. It's okay to be nervous. I'm I'm 57 years old, been in the music business 40 years. I still get scared before going on stage and not admit that to these little kids. They go, you do? Mm -hmm. So it gives them, I just want them to understand it's okay to be who you are and go through and feel what you feel. But I had to do that and I had to do it in a presentation that they could resonate with. So I put myself in third grade. I got bullies. You know, I tell the kids now, you know. I'm a grown man. I go to the gym. I go, I got bullied and teased on. They go, you? I say, no, not now. If them bullies try that now, I'll knock them upside the head. They all laugh and (laughs) stuff like that. But I went through, I was able, for me to go from third grade to this now, shows them vision. Well, if he could do it, I could do it. But I don't want them to be me. I want them to see themselves in the young DMC. Uh
0: It's amazing, what what you're doing is amazing. You touched about something then about telling these kids off because I don't know if you have this expression. We have an expression in England we used to, which was "children should be seen and not heard." I don't know if that was ever a thing that you had over there. It was an, it was a saying, and it's I've like heard that, children yes. should be seen and listened to. It's crazy, isn't it? But thankfully nowadays, with help of books like yourselves and, and people like you, you know, people <laughs> children are being listened to, which is great. Which yes, is, you know.
1: It's, it, here's what's amazing Scott like I said I speak at the high schools
0: mm. you know what
1: I'm saying I have an impact there but then when you open up for Q&A at the high schools and then the middle schools too they funny they want to do you know Eminem do you know Cardi B you know what I'm saying did you ever meet Michael Jackson do you know Taylor Swift you know because because that's what they're, <laughs> because they're going off of their perception of you know the music industry just being about fortune and fame and and celebrity and stuff like that. When I speak to the kindergarten kids, boys and girls, to like sixth grade, the questions is this: I finish, they'll go. How did you feel when you got bullied and picked on? How did you simple things like how did you feel when your mother told you you couldn't stay up late to watch the movie? Yeah. How did you feel when you saw your friend? You know, I found out that I was adopted when I was thirty-five years old. And I found out that I was a foster kid. And I tell these kids that story, too, because there's a lot of kids, you know, they have mothers, but no fathers. They have fathers, but no mothers. Um, a lot of kids are orphans. A lot of kids are um, foster kids. A lot of kids are adopted. So I reveal that to them. Yeah. and You know, I tell them I didn't find out when I was 35. They want to know, how did you feel as a grown man when you found out you was adopted? How did you feel for... These kids talk about their emotions and feelings and want to express these things. But a lot of times they get told, no, no, we can't talk about those things more than the older kids do. Yeah, They want to know, is it okay to be afraid? Yeah. Is it okay to have anxiety? Yes, it is. It's fine. But I want you to also know that don't be ashamed of who you are. You can yeah. be successful. Talk to somebody. Don't be ashamed. Um, if the bullies is picking on you, I tell the kids. The bullies have problems that they're afraid of, too. That's why they're doing what they're doing to you. I say when you get picked on or when you see somebody getting picked on, don't think of it like you're snitching on the bully. Think of it like you're getting the bully some help. And they go, we never thought about it like that. The bully got something going on that they need help. They're mad at you because you're okay. Okay. Yeah, the bully is not. So when you go tell the teacher or or your parent or the adult on the bully, you're getting the bully help. Oh, OK. I don't want the kids to be ashamed of who they are and what they are. You know, I was a geeky, nerdy kid that wore glasses that was always on the honor roll that read comic books. <laughs> so, you know, I wasn't the kid. I wasn't the athlete. I wasn't the kid running around with the tough crowd. I wasn't with the it, it people. I was the nerdy, geeky kid with the thick glasses reading comic books, which wasn't cool. But everything that I am and everything that I was made me the person that I am now. And the kids go, you mean you started making hip-hop records rhyming about how cool your glasses were? Because <laughs> even in the kids' book, I show that Daryl is like, I don't think my glasses is cool. My classes is the best thing in the whole school. So by me putting myself in their environment, like Scott, y'all all all know me from high school to walking this way with Aerosmith, everything that I did. I'm the same Daryl in um, adolescence, in my teen adolescence in adulthood that I was in the third grade. I want those kids to see the value in everything that people think is wrong about them. And, wow. and, and they get it you know yeah. I can't sit there and and one of the things that I don't do is I don't talk down to the kids like they're little I talk to them you know I won't talk to them like I would talk to you in an adult conversation yeah. but I talk to them as people yeah you know what that's I'm adorable. saying like Sharon yo Johnny what do you think I asked them what do you think about me or what do you think about that and they'll say well I see it like this and that and I'll say yeah but that's okay to think like that man we can't have these kids being ashamed of of who they are and what they're going through because they will never develop an understanding about this world that they live in.
0: Wish you could come to my daughter's school. and.
1: Do it. <laughs> how how old maybe, is your daughter?
0: She's 10, 10. Yeah,
1: and you know, it's crazy. I, um, there, there's a uh, up here in Vernon, New Jersey, where I live at, there's a big a complex campus of a school. It's the middle school and the high school together. Yeah. So they call me there every year. And this is mind blowing at the high school there might be maybe 18 incidents of you know fights disrespect of um, you know drugs or whatever yeah. in the middle school there were 78 instances of fighting disrespect and bullying you know what i'm saying because yeah. nobody's talking to these kids yeah. about these issues you know if some sometimes the parents are afraid to talk to the kids about what they're feeling. You know yes. what I'm saying? They don't want to deal with it. I go in there and I keep it real. I tell my story so the kids can see somebody else is going through what they're going through because they yes. feel so alone.
0: Which leads me on to um, some other great charity work you did. Is it called The The Felix. The the Felix
1: a, Organization, yeah. Was that
0: founded was it around 2006? Is that right? Is that what it kind Oh, we've
1: been around it's we've been around for fifteen years now. When I was thirty-five years old, I found out that I was adopted, which was crazy. Like out of nowhere. You know, um, for 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 um I started out in eighty-three. My first single was in eighty-three, my first album was eighty-four, second album eighty-five, and in eighty-six. We we put out Race in Hell, Adidas, Adidas deal, Walk This Way with Aerosmith, changed everything. So I had a great career, you know, filled with his ups and downs. But then in 1993, I woke up one day and I was just completely depressed. Um, there was oh this was when we put out our Down Went to King album, and that that uh, the, the title song was produced by Pete Rock from Pete Rock and CL Smooth, one of the greatest hip hop producers ever. And in 93, remember hip hop had changed. Pop, Biggie, NWA, Dr. Dre, like it was crazy. So we wasn't participating as much, but we were still well respected. But in 93 was like kind of our comeback. And when, when we had this comeback, we had a new album out back on the charts, back on MTV, back on tour. Right when that happened, you would think, I would say yes. I'm back. It's a comeback. And, I'm, you know, we got to get more money and more fame. But right when that happened, Scott, I woke up and I was just completely, completely depressed. And I didn't know what it was. And I had this big void in me and I didn't want to live no more. So I started having these suicidal thoughts. Um, prior to that, in 1990, I got diagnosed with acute pancreatitis because I was drinking so much. So I had to stop drinking. And I had two options, the doctor told me. When I finally got discharged, the doctor said, son, you have two options to live. I was like, what's that? You could drink and die or not drink and live. So from 90 to 93, I'm not drinking anything. So now, 93, I get depressed. That depression started growing and growing and growing where I didn't want to live no more. And then I just started thinking, Scott, man, if I die tomorrow, people know the Run DMC story. You know, you got to, you can Wikipedia, Google me this. You can find out what me, Run and Jay did, how everybody say, you know, what Run DMC did with hip hop and the Adidas deal and walk this way. But I was like, nobody knows the kid, Darrell, who made all of this Run DMC stuff possible along with Run and Jay. So um, I said, just in case I die tomorrow. I needed more information about the day I was born because I knew my birthday was May 31st, 1964. Yeah. So I called my mom and said, Mom, I'm writing a book because I want to leave. I don't want to just leave my music. I want to leave who Daryl McDaniels was yeah. from Queens, New York. I know my birthday is May 31st. How much do I weigh? What time I was born? What hospital? So my mother told me those three things. I love you. I love you too, son. hung up the phone. An hour goes by. She calls back with my father, We have something else to tell you. And I go, okay, what is it? They go, well, you was a month old when we brought you home and you're adopted, but we love you, bye, click. So I was an alcoholic, suicidal, metaphysical, spiritual wreck who was about to kill himself who found out that he was adopted at age 35. So that even made the depression. Imagine what happened there. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know that it was cool to go get help. I didn't know how I'm DMC, but I didn't know how to get help. I didn't know I should have went and talked to therapists or whatever, talked to my friends. I just held all of this stuff inside of me. Not knowing what to do, I turned to the very thing that's gonna kill me, alcohol again. Mm. So now I don't gotta hang myself, shoot myself, and sip the poison. I can drink myself to death because I don't know what to do with this. This is a shocking revelation. I thought my mother and father was everybody that I round about on my records for the last 30 years. But to find out there's another part of my existence, long story short, I didn't know how to handle it. So I'm walking through life lost. And it wasn't until somebody that heard, Daryl just found out that he was adopted, introduced me to another person who a week earlier was discussing their um, emotions about finding. They knew they were adopted, but they was doing a search for their birth parents and kept it in dead ends, so that was very depressing for them, yeah. so the person that heard me um, find out that I was adopted says, I don't know what you're going through but maybe this could help and it did, when I met with this lady named Sheila Jaffe, she's yeah. a casting director in um, Hollywood and um, she casts, um Sopranos Entourage, John Travolta Mark Roth, Raw- like she's one of the biggest casting directors, you know look at the names of those, pro- those productions so when I met her It gave me a common feeling of not alone, to calm down. This is shocking, it's traumatic. All of those things are true, but look, she's just like you, so you're not alone. So we just sat there, and we talked about how fortunate we were to have the parents that took us in to allow us to get where we were supposed to go. And then Sheila started thinking about, what about all the kids who are orphans and in foster care that might not get adopted? We need to do something for them. And all we wanted to do was provide opportunities for children um, in the foster care system to become the people they were put here to be, regardless of their situation. So we wanted to um, create educational, recreational, and career-minded um, life skill facilities to direct them so that when they get 18 and 19 years old, they will have a have an idea of I want to be a sports caster. I want to be an athlete. I want to be a dancer. I want to be a journalist. I want to be a casting director. I want to be a musician. Whatever, whatever, whatever. So that was like kind of too big at the time. And it was uh, Michael Lang, who just passed away. Rest in peace. He was like the he was like the father of all of this. Um, he convinced us it's a great idea to start with educational facilities. But you need to start a little smaller. And Michael Lang was one of the co-founders of, of, co-founders of Woodstock. Yeah, He just recently passed. But he said, why don't we start with a, a sleepaway camp, an overnight sleepaway camp where we can bring the foster kids in. Um, for one week, we bring them in, you know, they get nature and recreation and fun. Number two, they see other kids like them in this situation, so they feel not alone. And number three, while they are there, we ask them, what is it that you want to do? Well, I want to be a dancer. So for one week, the kid will get dance lessons. I want to be a photographer. One week, the kid get photography lessons. I want to be a DJ. Um, I, we bring Jam Master Jay's son, Jam Master Jay, rest in peace, up, who's now a DJ, to give the kids DJ lessons so that they can be the, if I, I want to be a journalist, okay, for when you get back home, you're going to go to CBS or you're going to go to NBC or the BBC, and you're going to hang around and see how TV shows are made. Wow. So we just give the kids experiences now instead of waiting for them to get 18 and 19 and then going, what do you want to do? So it's just about giving opportunities to kids now so yeah. that we can start building on those desires and we started the felix organization 15 years ago and we've been going strong and we get support from uh, many fabulous organizations and people who desire to see these kids get where they're supposed to go
0: i can just imagine all these happy memories that you're making for these these children who wouldn't have had oh, memories yes. like mean, this because it's very important to give kids happy memories wherever yes. their background yeah,
1: is. Yes, and it doesn't have, one of the things that we stress at the Felix organization, it doesn't have to come from an organization. Like uh, being a foster parent is a huge responsibility. Being an adoptive parent is a huge responsibility. Being a parent, period, just like you said with your daughter, is the huge responsibility ever. But some of the most powerful things that we could do to inspire, motivate and help these kids is a simple thing like mentorship. you know taking one of these kids you know giving them stuff is cool but being able to say anytime you need to speak to someone give me a call that's more important than money and new sneakers and gifts and stuff like that because these kids have feelings and emotions that sometimes make them forget about goodness success strive and working hard like all of these kids really need to hear, hey, how you doing? I'm rooting for you. I'm in your corner. They need to hear somebody's ears for them. So it starts with mentorship. Yeah. So when these kids come to the camp or when they come to the programs that we have throughout the year, it's about, it's like, what do you want to do and what do you need? Yeah. Not, here's what you need to do. Follow this. We follow their lead yeah. to allow them to be comfortable, you know, and we tell them this, Scott, your situation doesn't define who you are. You may be homeless. You may be an orphan. You may be adopted, you may be a foster kid, you may live with your mother and don't have a father, you may live with your father and don't have that's your situation. But you are perfect just the way you are. That's what these kids need to see. That's yeah. what the kids need to hear. And that, you know, that's what my mother and father did for me. They didn't look at me like I was crazy because I loved comic books. Yes. They saw that all this kid does is read comic books, but the fact that I was reading every day made me a good student. They didn't take the comic book away from me and say, read the textbook. They let me read They let me read the comics over and over and over so that when they put the textbook in front of me, I knew how to read. Sometimes we take away, you know, like if the kid only cares about skateboarding, doesn't mean he or she doesn't care about education. He or she just cares about skateboarding. So yeah. let's use the skateboard to teach them how important education is, not vice versa.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's just wonderful. It's actually well, we're we're adopted parents. We 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 adopted our daughter actually.
1: Oh, um, amen. So I know That's all about so adoption,
0: cool. and we did have to do courses on it and read about it, but uh,
1: exactly.
0: Go, we've been honest and open with her since she she's been with us, so she knows she's adopted. We've read we've read books about adoption. Yes,
1: the she, truth but. is the most powerful thing ever, yeah. and it's so funny since me and Sheila are so open about our adoptions. There's parents, unlike you, who are afraid to tell their kids this. So when I first started speaking about my adoption, Scott, I was getting calls from people at my gym. I was getting calls from students. Sheila was getting calls. "Um, Our daughter's seven years old. Can you come over our house to tell her? So I went. It it was funny. I went one time. And and this is funny, Scott. So I go to the house because I knew the parents very well. And it was like, "Um, Sally... We have somebody here to meet you. So she's trying to figure out, I don't want to meet nobody. I'm trying to figure out my adoption situation and all of this and whatever, whatever. So the parents go, Sally, you know that song, It's Tricky?
0: Yeah.
1: And Sally starts paying attention a little bit. Yeah, I know that song. (laughs) Well, this is the guy that made it. So she was like, oh, okay, this is the guy that made it. But he has something else to tell you. Wow. He's also adopted like you. And when I said that, you should see, you know, the, the weight dropped off a little bit. And true story, Scott, I said, because you got to understand, I didn't find out till I was 35. So when I go talk to the 7 to 15-year-old kids, it's therapy for me. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there with the 7-year-old daughter, Sal, and she's helping me. Yeah. And then along the discussion, she finds out we have a lot in common. We both like Star Wars. We both like cookies and cream, ice cream, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. When I first found out that I was adopted, I was in that, that stubborn mode, understandably, of thinking I was different from other kids. But it was it was a therapist lady at the facility that that I work, I work at now with the other kids. She looked at me and said, what makes you any different from any other kid? And I used the label, you know, because I'm adopted. She said, you got people that love you like everybody else. I was like, yeah. She said, You're eat, you go to to eat and sleep like everybody else. Yeah, you like that. She went through all of these things about what it is to be a person and said, so what makes you different from anybody else? And I was like, wow. So those are the things that I want the kids and, and which I want to do with the, um, you know, the, the children's book, yeah. anxiety, fear, adoption, orphan, foster kids. That doesn't take away from the greatness of who you are, you know, yeah. but my, um, I was fortunate to meet my uh, birth mother too. Okay. Eventually, Sheila, the lady who, who who kind of mentored me through my time, she 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 um she said, "Ain't you dying to meet your birth parents?" I said, "No," I said, "Nope, I'm not dying to meet my birth parents." But unfortunately, I was able to do a search because there was a private eye lady who only became a private eye specifically for adoptees. Who would like to find their birth parents? Because it's it's very hard sometimes. I mean, now you got the internet. I know millions of people find the internet. But um, I was fortunate to find my birth parents. And when I found my birth mother, the first thing she asked me, Scott, was, and this goes to my rundium DMC thing in there. She says, I know you're dying to know why I gave you up. And I was like, Whoa, that's an understatement. Yes. Mm-hmm. She said, I gave you up to give you a chance. And then I looked at my life and said, Lady, you gave me one hell of a chance. And we have a good relationship going forward. And it was powerful for me because I understood the whole scenario. I mean, even if you're not adopted, even if you come from your blood family, whatever you are, even in your situation of mine, there's people put here to help you get where you're supposed to go. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Outside of your mother and father, outside of your family. You know, I got many teachers Many people in my neighborhood, I even got people who had it worse than me that would say little things to me. Like, you know, when I was growing up in Hollis, Queens, you know, you had the so-called gangsters, you know, the guys that are gangsters. Mm -hmm. But if they saw that you were smart, if they saw that you had an ability and you could leave this neighborhood, I had so many gangsters and Doug said, Darryl, get your ass off this corner, man. You don't need to be here, you can go places, yeah, so there's so many people put in our lives to help us get where we're supposed to go. Yeah. That's why we with the Felix Organization, we try to keep it as a network and a community of people to allow this child, regardless of what they're going through, to get where they're supposed to go. No,
0: it's just wonderful work.:
1: Thank yeah, you, Thank you brilliant.
0: And- I'm so glad that there's, there's organizations like that out there. Oh, um, oh,
1: for sure! Oh, for sure! Yeah, I was and his you... parents like you. I commend you. Like I love you. <laughs> but yo, you know, what like <laughs> you. your daughter. Yeah, we we yeah we we, we are blessed. Oh, thank you. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I think we should probably maybe move move on to sort of more music stuff or some recent stuff you did. I was okay. watching a YouTube video is of track you did. It's called Ghetto Metal. If I got the yes. right, title,
1: Ghetto yeah. Metal. I
0: mean, I, I really honestly love that. Um, oh, thank you. Going with the whole which I know you're famous for the rock, rap, metal yes. thing. Yeah, um, it's got that classic rock vibe, reminding me. It's got that sort of I don't know, like the kind of Def Leppardy White yep. Snake, and and but there yep. was a lyric in it. I really again because you're so you just seem so motivational, and I know Run DMC were. But please listen to me. I don't do it for the money or celebrity, which is right. Perfect. I mean, is that always been the case with you? Kind of music yes. first, fame and money later.
1: It always been my thing. It, it never was a destiny. I, I never wanted to be in the music business. You know, for me, hip-hop and rocket, Hip-hop allowed me to go, oh, shoot. You can tell stories over music just like the Beatles do. You can tell stories over music just like Bob Dylan does. You can tell stories over music just like um, um Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd does. I grew up, um uh, when I was growing up in Hollis, Queens, New York, when everybody was like into soul and black music, you gotta understand I was a kid, so I didn't have a music I could say that was my own because at the time Marvin Gaye, Aretha Franklin, and Al Green, for instance, and James Brown was my mother and father's music because they were cool at the time. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they—that was their generation. My generation was comic book, um, you know, TV shows, cartoons, my imagination playing with my dolls and my action figures and stuff like that. I didn't have a music that I could identify with. But what what people call classic rock and what people call folk music and all the music from the British and invasion, I'm talking about what caught my ear was Mother Mary said to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be, it was like these stories, you know, Mother Mary, in the town, where I was born, oh, yeah. lived the man who sailed the sea. You know, even Pink Floyd, us and them, and I miss you. Wish you were here. Was like, I know what that is. And even to you know, from from when they would say stuff like government, presidents, rulers. You know, they talked about social issues. So when I heard rock and roll, and when I heard folk rock, it was like social studies or history class. Oh, I know what that is. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm a kid, so I didn't know what love and girls and kissing was, what Marvin Gaye and Al Green and everybody was talking about. But I knew what a president was. I learned that in school. I knew what the government, you know, they talked about war. You know what I'm saying? The Vietnam War. So rock and roll was talking about, rock and roll was like my newspaper as a kid. You know what I'm saying? Which taught me a, a responsibility that I carried on in my own music. And what I mean by, it's not about the fortune and fame. It's not about the money for me. When you look at what, um, you know, uh, Neil Young would do, Joni Mitchell would do, or even out uh, Marvin Gaye when he did Let's Get It On. So we knew we had a responsibility in a position that we was gifted with. Same goes for athletes. Same goes for movie stars. Same goes for entertainers. Yeah, the money and fortune, yeah, that's, that's your reward but you have a responsibility. So for me, it was just all about creativity. Yeah. It meant more to me when my mother in kindergarten put my finger painting on a refrigerator for the whole world to see, which made me feel more important, and more important than Picasso and Rembrandt.
0: Yeah, that's
1: true. That was the success in it for me. And with that sincerity, that allows you to... Hopefully get what it is that you want. So fortune and fame was and celebrity was never the thing that I... I, Unlike most people, I'm going to make a record to get money. I'm going to play sports to get money, which is okay. But that wasn't my thing. And I don't want to force anybody to think that's the only thing. That's Mm -hmm. why in my music I speak about... There's nothing wrong with it. Like, you know, people get mad at this generation of hip-hop kids that say, I don't care nothing about the culture. I'm just doing it for the money. I can't get mad at them saying that because the very institution and business of of music doesn't care about the people they service the product to. Yeah. So instead of getting mad at them personally, um, I um, put those artists that do that in that category where I separate artists from. Music business. Yeah. You know, my business is successful is because number one, I care about my content. And number two, I care about everybody I come in contact with. Yeah. So the way that it stood out to you is the way that I want somebody to receive that message, as opposed to pointing my finger saying it's wrong if you don't do it about the way that I do it. It's, a, it's not about censorship and freedom of speech. Do what you want to do. Yeah. But my thing is about impact yeah. and togetherness and unity, growth, education, innovation, creativity, and above all things, fun. There's a yeah. lot of artists in hip hop right now that five years from now, you don't want to see them sing that record to you. Yeah. But I can always come do it's like that. And that's the way I can always do is tricky. And every generation in every genre of music, I could show up at a country music show and do all the records I made when I was 18 as a grown man. Yeah. I can show up on a rock show, I can go to a metal show. I play with metal artists. Yeah. I play with rock artists. So my thing was a, a universal responsibility yeah. of yeah. integrity. Now I'm not mad at you if you can make a hit song and sell 50 million albums and get mansions and private jets. Cool. But that's something else about. What my culture was founded on and represented, because even the you know the the great rock stars, um, all of those rock bands, you know, John Lennon did imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, 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 you know, Led Zeppelin and 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 um, um, Pink Floyd and 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 even the punk bands, yeah. who are so outrageous and violent, because You know, the government. It's, it's about treating people right with respect and. Fighting for your own rights. Those things are more important than a paycheck to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was thinking of your very, very early days. So how how did you get into MC and how did that all start?
1: Oh, that's well, Run DMC's combination was a combination of two things. Run DMC's combination was a combination of imagination, occupation, and um um collaboration. What I mean by that was Run, his brother was Russell Simmons, who before the making of rap songs, before hip-hop was even recorded, Russell was one of the managers and promoters of early hip-hop, before we was making records, meaning he was throwing all the parties, he was throwing all the concerts. So when rap songs started getting made, he was one of the first to start a management company and get Curtis Blow signed to a major record deal. So Run as a kid saw the business of hip-hop, what it is now, begin in his living room. Me, I'm on the other side of that. I wasn't a creator or producer of it. I was a recipient of it. So I grew up listening to Grandmaster Flash. I grew up listening to Africa, Bambaataa and the Soul Sonic Force. I grew up listening to Curtis Blow and everybody before Run DMC. So it was a thing where, how can I describe how I got into it? When I saw Superman, I put my favorite blanket on my neck with a safety pin, and I ran around trying to pretend I was Superman. Yeah, Jumping in the house, having my mama said, man, you ain't Superman in this household. If you don't stop jumping on my furniture, Superman going to have a problem. (laughs) So I'm running around the house pretending I'm a Superman. I'm picking out the garbage can lids, pretending I'm Captain America. I'm taking my father's actual work hammer pretending I'm Thor. For me, it was all pretend. I saw Melly Mel. I saw Kumo cool Moe I saw Grandmaster Kaz. I saw Curtis Blow. I was writing raps for myself, pretending to be my favorite hip-hop hero. The same way I would pretend with my favorite blanket to be Batman and Superman. So I'm doing this from 19... 19- 79 wow. all the way up to 1982 just writing for me run who brother was already managing everybody that i talked about and doing business with everybody i talked about saw it as a career you know it's almost like if your brother is a basketball player you're the little kid you're gonna do what your brothers do yeah. if your brother's playing football or soccer you're going to walk around with a soccer ball. So that was the same for Run. He saw it as a career. Yeah. Me, I was so... I didn't think I was going to be in the music business. What I'm doing, I'm writing raps for four years. So by the time I meet Run and we collaborate, we have everything that it takes to be successful in a music business. We got the rhymes, we got the production, we got the sound, we got the content. But also through Run's brother, we got the business mind, the management of this. So all it took for us was run to be run, DMC to be DMC, say who we are, and then hold up. We need somebody to play the music. Growing up in our neighborhood, Jay was one of the well-known DJs in the neighborhood. He was just, you know, it was, Jam Master Jay was just the known DJ in the neighborhood. So run DMC forums. We need a guy to play the music. Let's go get Jay. Let's go make a record. So when we made our first record, it had a relatable impact. Yeah. But to answer your question, I was preparing myself. Like I always talk to young people, yeah. whatever you do, when you make believe, when you pretend, pre means before. So if you're pretending to be a doctor. Playing with the doctor game that you brought from the um the, the store, and you're doing that every day, somewhere along the way. If you ever get the opportunity to go into the medical profession, all of that pretending was actually practice. So I just mm-hmm. fell into it, and my confidence came from um the confidence for me to represent who I am. I learned a lot of that from like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell, and Janis Joplin, and The Who, you know what I'm saying, Jim Morrison. A lot of those songs were just stories. So the same way, for instance, the Beatles, did Yellow Summer Green, there's a town, and there's a man. I knew to get on a record, there's a town called Hollis Queens, and there's a man, there's a guy named Daryl McDaniels. So it was easy for me, put the beat on. All I had to do, Scott, was just get on records and tell stories about who I am, and somewhere along the way people around the world would be able to relate to it so it wasn't a showbiz dream it was just a dream to express myself
0: is it right that you probably one of the first to have that classic dj and then the two the two um rappers so that was that hadn't been done before was it before it was more like a band thing wasn't it like
1: well, the problem was all of the DJs and the rappers, when they came into the recording industry, they was reproducing the music with bands. Yeah. Because the thing prior to Run DMC, what we did was we wanted to make those records the same way, but we just produced them with the drum machine or we would sample them. And one of the things that we knew was, no, let the bands be the band. When Our thing is we t- our, we, we was funny we take what the bands had made on the vinyl records and that's the thing we use to perform with. So that was another thing that made people intrigued about what we're doing. These guys are singing to the actual turntables. Who does that? So that made it very interesting. But the reason why we did that at the time, we didn't have access to studios and, and here in New York city, we didn't have access to instruments so all we had was the pre-recorded, already made music that our mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers grew up listening to, turntables and the speakers. Since we could produce our own music, we used music that was already made by yeah. everybody that I just mentioned, from Led Zeppelin to James Brown, but we told our own stories over their music.
0: I think one, another thing that s- struck me at the time, the first time I think I saw a picture of you when I was younger in the 80s, and what uh-huh. I just loved your look. So obviously we'll go on about the the trainers, the hat, everything. Oh yes. And it yep. fought to me because I'm a big I'm a big fan of the Ramones, and I like bands that have um, they're kind of like cartoonish. I mean your music. Yep. It, for sure. Credi- the music's credible, and what you've done is it's. We were characters. But I loved your look. It was like a cartoon. I mean, now you're into yep. comics now, and I just I, I mean, I've seen you've got dolls of Run DMC now, and you've got figures. Yep. And, and you do look great as a cartoon, so I think that really helped as as a kid. I thought and then I listened to the music, and I was just like the music is just as good as the look and the whole that's perfect. why you,
1: that's why you related to us. We were animated yeah, yeah. we were definitely you know Run MC and the Ramones and everybody we were the car, we were the cartoons jumping off the t v screen, and we were the comics jumping out the funny the newspapers in the comic yeah. book we were. Because we were all children of we we are all um all of us are products of pop culture. So seeing Ramones was all those characters you saw in the funny papers and in the cartoons and the comic books growing up. Seeing Run DMC, we were animated. We were your imagination. We were our imagination coming to life. Like for for us, the reason why we dressed the way we dressed was it was the break dancers and the graffiti writers and the early MC rappers and the DJs that we wanted to be like. The first rappers didn't dress like us because the first rappers had a problem. There were no rappers to look up to. Yeah. But who they looked up to was Parliament Funkadelic, the Rolling Stones, yeah. and all the punk rock groups. That's why when you look at the early rappers, they dressed in like Parliament Funkadelic, and the yeah. rock stars. The big because there were Yes, there was <laughs> no rappers to look up to. When they, before they made music, when we would see them in the neighborhood, they would have on the tracksuits and the trainers and the gazelles. So when we get famous, we're not going to dress up like, uh, we're not going to dress up like Earth, Wind, and Fire. We're not going to dress up like, uh, um, um, let me see, what's a, what's a good band? We're not going to dress up like Death Leopard or Iron Maiden. Yeah. We're going to dress up like who our idols are, which were the breakdancers or yeah. even the basketball players. We're going to wear what, Scott, we're going to wear what you wore to school. That's our stage outfit. And that's when when the audience sees us, they relate to it.
0: Incredible.
1: It's crazy, yeah. right? And
0: to make this amazing music. I mean, I, 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 there's so many albums I like of yours, but obviously Raising Hell is one that I put on a lot. I mean, I have the cassette of it and just it still sounds the production I, is amazing. It's,
1: it's amazing to it this doesn't date. day. It doesn't I know date. to this day. Even my own my new music that I'm making, Ghetto Meadow and America song that I just put out that's on YouTube, also. Yeah, I gotta I have a problem getting that. Like I gotta work to get that essence. And, 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 and what I think really happened when we was making all of that music, even of my peers in that age, Run DMC Public Enemy. De la so quest there was a spirit that was alive
0: yeah
1: you know it was about it was a sincere honest spirit about to express this to be creative to be innovative now when you look at the music industry or when you look at entertainment as a whole yeah it's just all about being known and being a celebrity yeah and not having a passion or an integrity about the art that you're producing you know. The, the numbers that the, the business that is being done is astronomical, but the music lacks that spirit that That's makes there, there was a spirit and an attitude that made Raising Hell resonate the way that it did. It doesn't exist no more. That's why when you listen, I mean, even across the board, rock, country, pop, and hip hop all sounds the same now because there's no spirits, there's no spirit of fun togetherness, unity, positivity, things that bring us together. It's everybody trying to out-celebrity the next person. So it's um, controversy, ignorance, disrespect. I sum it up like negativity is being used as a false sense of power. You know what I'm saying? Instead of going in, I'm going to make this record, I'm going to get money and pay for this, but I want to give something to the people. Yeah. I want to make them feel good. I want to make them happy. You yeah, know, yeah. there's a me, 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 me attitude in entertainment as opposed to us, 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 us. And what I can do with this product. That's and that's, that's what made Raisin Hell gave birth to everybody. Pop Biggie, De La Soul, Public Enemy, Dr. Dre, Ice Cube. Those are our sons. And they'll tell you in a minute, we always was trying to be like Run DMC no. The beautiful thing about everybody, they was able to do it in their own way. Then somewhere along the line, it just got more important for the entertainment business to worry about the sales as opposed to the soul. Yeah, I'm saying, which is okay because it's a business. The same way you put out the monotonous majority of controversial, disrespectful, innocent, ignorance, and gossip, you're supposed to. Take the money that you made off of all of that and put out education, righteousness, equality and understanding. But they don't. And I understand that's the business. That's why it's up to us as artists, as yeah. hip hop artists who support the culture, not just the business, to maintain the integrity that existed. And I mean, most people like my music now because it has the same spirit that it might be a little different than 86. Yeah but it has the same spirit yeah, that it, it had back
0: then. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, we're thinking about that whole rap rock thing. I mean, now, I mean, it I, as I said, I listen to the album a lot, but it, the Walk This Way came on the radio the other day. And I was thinking, we all know it now, this song, Walk This Way. It's played at yes. wedding receptions. Parties. Everywhere. Oh, yes. And I was thinking, but... At the time, that must have been a very strange song. I mean, because you've got your—I'm just thinking—you've got the Run DMC fans into the, and then you've got yep. the Aerosmith fans. They must have both been thinking, vice What's versa. There? Why are you working with them, and why? But now you think it—it it works. It's just you, know, you don't you don't think about it. You just think it's a good song. But yeah, time, yeah, were exactly. There, were there, were you worried about the kind of reactions from both sides? And yes, absolutely. run thing. was number one. and run
1: was well. Me and Run was worried because it was a remake of the original song. So we was worried about, why can't we say our own rhymes? Yeah, <laughs> You know, it was kind of selfish. I want to talk about me. So that was the first worry. The second worry was the Aerosmith fans, which happened when the, when the video got on MTV. It was like, what in the world is Aerosmith doing with the rap guys? Yeah. And then the rap fans watching the TV, <laughs> what in the world is the rap guys doing with the rockers? But after sitting there watching you go, I love it. You know what I'm saying? Because prior to the video where Steven Tyler took the mic stand in the video and knocked down the wall that brought us together, that didn't just happen in the video. That video gave birth to what the music industry is today with collaborations. And also it gave birth to phenomenal bands like Korn, Mm -hmm. Limp Bizkit, Rage Against the Machine, um, 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 even Nirvana, like that whole Blink-182, Sub-41, all of of that music after 86, all of that, it allowed grunge to come in and change rock and roll, it changed the dynamics to where People thought only these people do that, we do this, and this is what it is. No, walk this way through that all out and let everybody realize we all the same anyway. It don't matter how it's done, as long as it's fun. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It was it was it was literally the game change. Like i, I I've got I got new songs with um, Tim Armstrong from Rancid. Wow. I got songs with Sammy, I got a song with Sammy Hager and Joan Jett. Now, this is Sammy Hager. You know what I'm saying? Van Halen, Montrose, Legend. This is Tim Armstrong from Rancid. This is the Immortal Joan Jet. And I'm sitting in the studio with them looking at their greatness, but they're telling me, no, but you guys. <laughs> and I can't grasp that. But Walk This Way was the example. It was the catalyst. Yeah. It was the it, it lit the fuse to the explosion of innovation and creativity without preconceived um, stereotypical notions.
0: Yeah. And, you
1: and know, because like, we, we had, did Rockbox in 84. Rockbox was the first hip hop video on MTV and having the rock on there helped us get on MTV. Yeah. And then in 85, we did a song called The King of Rock, yeah. which was about a rock and roll hall of fame museum that didn't exist. The Rock and Roll of Fame didn't start till 86. And then in 86, we make the record with Aerosmith that would solidify us a place in the Rock and Roll of Fame. Like, you can't write that stuff. Wow. That's why the whole sincerity of, you know, for me, it's not about the celebrity. It's more about the opportunity to do something to change people's lives.
0: Yeah. And some of these, I mean, as well, these great videos that you made. um, I think actually a song that, then it gets mentioned. I mean, it's, it's a great track actually, It's the one you did for Ghostbusters too. Oh, <laughs> you know, I love huge. It. That video, I still love that video. Fortunately, the other day, I mean, I remember as a kid watching that video and just, it's something with them um, in the beginning with, is it Sigourney Weaver comes out of the, yes, yeah, with her. I was just, yep. was so good. I mean, mind
1: blowing. Well, were you a fan it,
0: of Ghostbusters? Yes, video, of
1: it? course. Yes, like I said, I Ghostbusters, Star for everything. Um, music has given me an opportunity to not just um, experience all the things that touched my life, but to be part of it. When when I'm at Comic-Cons across the world, you don't know how many DVDs (laughs) of (laughs) Ghostbusters, the the CDs of the soundtrack, you don't know how many. And and even if people ain't into Run DMC as a band, they know I sign stuff that it's not just my music that connects me. And I'm talking about people from my younger generation or older generation. They come and they tell me, I love you because of Ghostbusters. (laughs) I don't care (laughs) nothing about the sneakers. I don't care nothing about the hip hop. I love you. That's a beautiful thing, man.
0: How was it wearing the um cuz you wore the ghostbusters outfits don't We you?
1: wore it was it to have on with Dan Aykroyd?
0: did you get to it see was, the set
1: wow. No we didn't we didn't get to see the set but we used the actual props from the set they brought it over to the south stage where the original suits everything was official Their original suits the original suits the, the, the same stuff they were using on oh. the set the same Everything, it wasn't like cardboard remix. I mean, it looks good. the backpack had weight. Like, yeah. it wasn't, it was metal, it was official. Everything was official. Wow. The car, the cat, everything was official it's from a, the Ghostbusters. It's such a great good
0: video. Thing. And I love to hey, hey, I love hey, video.
1: Hey. Oh, of course, so think about it. When we did the King of Rock video, we had Larry Bud Melman, who was on the David Letterman show here in the States at the time. Or when we did the rock box, we had the actor, Professor Erwin Corey, yeah. who was known in the community. So we always utilized something that would cross us over to connect us with the mass of people. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't just that this was hip hop and we're trying to introduce you to it. No, we created a hip hop that invited you in to be part of it. And for us, vice versa. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I grew up watching the Ghostbusters. Now I'm on it, wearing what they wear. You can't beat those things. And, and that's what I always say. And that's what really Ghetto Metal is a, uh, is about. Well, talk about Hendricks. Yeah. I talk about Slash. Talk about Van Halen. You know what I'm saying? I talk about Eddie Van Halen. Rest in peace. Those guys were our motivation to create what we did. That's why our music has such a profound effect. We were looking up to some very good examples to, you know, come into the game.
0: So, um... You mentioned that track. So, are, are you working on more tracks at the moment? Is would there be an album or?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the next move, the, the next. I got a. Uh, I got. I got the sound. I got the title song called America. We don't have a video for it. The title song for America is out on all streaming platforms. Okay, too. cool. But the song America is from a vinyl album that is also going to be digital. But it's from a vinyl album that will feature. America, the title song. Uh, that's produced by Freddie Fox, Bumpy Knuckles. He's really he's really one of the greatest lyricists in hip hop, but he's he's also a great producer. But yeah. the America vinyl album will have the song that I did with Sammy Hager
0: wow. and will
1: have the song that I did with Joan Jett. I have a song with this incredible band called Blacktop Mojo, an incredible rock band. We have that. I have a song. I have a hip hop song on there also, um, featuring me. Ice-T, Chuck D from Public Enemy, and DJ Jazzy Jeff. And then the song that I'm trying to put out um, on my birthday, May 31st, uh, there's a song by a band in the 80s called Ram Jam. They did a song which was a remake of a blues song called Black Betty.
0: That's
1: right. Oh, Black Betty, a Lamma, oh, Black Betty. So May 31st, I'm dropping the next single um, after Ghetto Metal, it's a song called, it's called She Gets Me High, but it's a remake of Black Betty featuring Sebastian Bach on vocals, along with D- Sebastian Bach from Skid Row, DMC, Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses on bass, Travis Barker <laughs> on drums, and Mick Mars from Motley Crue on guitar. Wow. So May 31st. So I'm just trying to, um, when I did King of Rock, it was a kid having a dream of being a rock star. Yeah. Now that I'm able to work with all my favorite rock inspirations and musicians, you think I'm not going to take the opportunity to create some new fun music? The very thing that I did 30 years ago, that's next on the list of the Black Betty song featuring Sebastian Bach, Mick Mars, Travis Barker, and Duff McKagan.
0: Uh, well, I can't wait to hear get hold of the vinyl and must get the vinyl.
1: Yeah, the vinyls, yeah, the vinyls coming. That's yeah. it's going to be on a vinyl. E- it's going to be on a vinyl album called America.
0: Uh, well, we look and if, to- if, if,
1: if you, if what's cool is, go listen to the America song when we finish because I shout out one of my place favorite places. I shout out the UK in the third rhyme of America. Oh, I need to hear and, this. And I did it person personally because I want y'all to always know that I'm thinking about y'all. Oh.
0: I yeah, yeah. It's yeah. one of my
1: favorite places to come. I mean, um, coming to um, coming to um, the UK and playing playing the Hammersmith Odeon. Huh? Oh, oh, I got so many memories, man. So I give the UK a shout. Even though my song's called America, yeah, I give a shout out to the UK because we're all connected.
0: What to, was this in the days of Run DMC? Yeah, you the Hammersmith?
1: Did you? Yeah, know. we played the Hammersmith Odeon. I mean, uh, the Hammersmith oh, was Odeon. The, was it with the Beastie Run, Boys? Yeah, Run DMC and the Beastie Boys. And then we came back with Public Enemy. Oh, yes. I, got I think I would have lost. I would have oh. been too
0: young. I would have been too young. Yeah, easy. you would have, have been too
1: young. To but yeah, the Hammersmith Odeon, I played there probably five or six times in my life I love Public Enemy
0: I love yeah yeah to see you in Public Enemy I think I would have
1: <laughs> it would have
0: been too yep. much too much Well
1: um, check out the song America just punch it up you'll find it um, I, sh- I got I got a big big shout out to the UK
0: well I'm going to go and listen to that now and I'd like to just, thank you for uh, taking the time out today to speak to me it's been a real pleasure and I can't wait for future releases and Yeah, thanks for that. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you and everybody out there. Keep rocking and rolling and keep hipping and hopping because together there is no stopping. Brilliant. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Take care. I'll see you soon.
0: Perfect. Thank you very much.